Hey, folks, today's show is brought to you by Stamps.co.uk, the quickest way to buy official British postage from the comfort of your own home or office. Why waste time flying all the way to the UK just to buy British postage? Cut out the middleman. All you need is a computer and printer. With Stamps.co.uk, you can fi- you can print official shipping labels right from home, then ship that package to any British address, and they'll hand it to a mail carrier. It couldn't be simpler. I use Stamps.co.uk all the time, like every Wednesday when I mail sealed containers of my own flatulence to members of Parliament. Act now and stamps.co.uk will throw in a free postage scale that only measures weight in stone because they hate the metric system and pounds there are money. Don't delay. Get shipping with stamps.co.uk. What's wrong with this thing? What's wrong with this thing? I think it's busted. Busted. Right. Ladies, gentlemen, those beyond the binary, poets, perverts, weirdos, gearheads, explorers of all kinds, secret, quiet people who are really good at stuff that don't want to admit it. I have no idea what's going on. Uh, you know me. This is J.W. Basillo, of, of course, uh, your host. You're here on Q4 Radio. This is Busted Mouth, as it is every single Monday at noon. Apologize for the couple-minute delay here. We ran into uh, we have a brand new studio. It's absolutely beautiful and gorgeous in here. We just laid it out, and because of that, we had a couple tiny little hiccups we had to navigate around. But uh, we're here. We're going to do this thing. Let's, uh, let's play some rock and roll. This is the Penthouse Suites. Would you like to know what tracks we're listening to? Go to Spotify at the Busted Mouth Esteemed Audio Companion Playlist. Busted Mouth Esteemed Audio Companion Playlist. It's totally free. You could follow along brand new tracks every single week. Free. Proceeded by the Penthouse Suites with Yeah, It's Gone. Uh, a couple of great tunes. Of course, you can get all these tunes to follow along with us at the uh, Esteemed Busted Mouth Audio Companion. That's a free Spotify playlist. Just look for Busted Mouth, B-U-S-T-E-D-M-O-U-T-H. Uh, esteemed Audio Companion. You could follow along and get all the, uh, the tracks we're playing this, this week. And... Uh, and every week, we're going to keep building that playlist until it's so full we can't deal with it. And then we'll probably start another playlist, and so on. And they'll tell two friends, and so on, and so on. And everything wins. What's going on this week, friends? It's starting to look a little bit like uh, a little bit like spring. Slowly but surely, I'm running around a little nuts. It's been a crazy week. I just ran downstairs to get our guest. Josh Zagorin, uh, who is an actor and a writer and a, a brilliant man and uh, the weird, sick genius that came up with Chad the Bird, who's a, a fixture, of course, at the Paper Machete show every Saturday at the Green Mill in Chicago. We're going to talk about that a little bit. But let me talk about myself for a minute. It's a weird week because it is my birthday week. Uh, every, time, every time I have a birthday, when I was young, you know, your birthday is young and it's, it's fun and exciting and then you get older and you start to uh, feel bad about yourself. Uh, and this week... I am going to be celebrating a birthday, and I am going to be the dreaded 35, way too old, 35. And, and I, I mean celebrating, but I mean more like trying to do something special for myself because no one else cares at all. But that's, that's how it is. You know, when you're young, you fear being the old guy, you know, who's out of touch with the new slang and the new music. Because when you're 17, your whole life is about fitting in and fighting for what you believe in and hopefully, you know, getting a little sweet. mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Earning a bit of that Catholic guilt, cashing in them guilt savings bonds you've been hanging on to since First Communion. Getting a little action, I guess, is what I'm saying. Uh, hopefully, of course, with enthusiastic consent and not the way that will uh, ruin your 
career down the line when all the stories come out. And maybe, okay, look, that joke's a little too soon. But I don't think people who didn't go to sex, didn't go to uh, high school in the 90s or earlier get how wildly confusing sex education was in the 90s. Sex ed, when I was a teenager, it was basically uh, use a condom, don't get AIDS, there's nothing worse or more funny than being gay. No means no, but girls don't like stuff. So uh, if she doesn't say no, I mean, hey, she didn't say no, go for it, buddy. But pop in that third eye blind CD because we were raised to be monsters absolute monsters and uh through the radio i can hear my hardcore gen x friends rolling their eyes the same obnoxious affected way that i roll my eyes at millennials but whatever old man don't you have a concert t-shirt collection to lecture justin about and how did i know your kid's name is justin because you were born in the mid-70s so you think justin is a really cool name and before you pull out your infographic to show me that people born in 1983 are actually millennials i will say nay sir i have an exception i too had a job and a lease on 9-11 i too have never worn a bike helmet kids old enough to walk didn't need car seats the one kid in school with a peanut allergy kept it to his damn self i call base i know what base is i digress once more Nowadays, I feel so out of touch with the world, and I'm learning you don't fall out of touch with what's cool simply because you're getting older. You fall out of touch because you don't care anymore. There are no good protest songs written with my life in mind. There are no fist-in-the-sky anthems about back hair and fiber supplements. There are no club bangers about quality parking spots and digestive regularity. The official slogan of 35 is, I, I guess this is what we're doing now. 35 is the age where you feel not a shred of guilt over saying to your friend, your show's in Wicker Park on a Friday? Not coming. I hope your dreams come true and all, but but that's just not going to happen. I mean, 35 isn't old, but it definitely isn't young. And when I was a kid, 35 was the dad age. It was the age that dads are. And I am not a dad. I am barely an adult. In the last year, I've clocked into a minimum wage job with a chemical burn on my face from doing poppers the night before. I am a terrible example of a 35-year-old, despite looking like every other 35-year-old white guy you've ever seen. I look pretty much the same for the last decade. You know, the buzz cut, the beard, the glasses. And little did I know that this look was going to become the look that every guy has. You can't throw a dart in a Best Buy without hitting someone who could use my passport successfully. Is that a barista? Is that Brad from IT? My own mother couldn't pick me out of a lineup anymore. And by the way, everything that becomes fashionable eventually goes out of style and is no longer fashionable. So this look, the only way that I know how to look, is about to become the mullet in the amber-tinted glasses of this generation. This look is going to be the trademark of every jamoke at the bowling alley trying to holler at girls. And I just realized what I did there. I made a reference to kids hanging out in bowling alleys. Do kids even hang out in bowling alleys anymore? This is how out of touch I am. I'm 35. I don't care about anything cool. Most of the things I do care care about i don't even like get off my lawn psych i don't even have a lawn because i'm a terrible adult and i just said psych and i realize now that this is over and there is no coming back here's some rock and roll Mostly, most of the music that comes out of Bust Mouth is, uh, is 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 local, or at the very least, uh, I struggle to say indie rock because indie is indie rock is, has such a terrible connotation for everybody, and for obvious reasons. But um, just try to grab stuff that maybe folks haven't heard before. Maybe some some I almost cursed on my own show. Uh, maybe some things that you you wouldn't stumble upon if you were just uh, flipping around the stations uh, in general. But if you'd like to, once again, if you'd like to uh, check us out, you can always follow us on Spotify. The Busted Mouth Esteemed Audio Companion, the playlist, all the 
the tracks that we play on here are right there. You can listen. If you have a premium account, you can actually listen in order and follow along and pause and, and do all that kind of stuff. If you're that kind of crap, that's, that's a free plug for Spotify, but I don't care. I think it's a great – I love Spotify. You know who else might like Spotify? What a terrible – terrible segue that is on live radio but we're gonna do it anyway because it's my show and i really don't care uh you're on q4 radio uh in the brand new fancy newfangled gorgeous q4 studio is our friend mr josh jagorin hello what's happening everybody it's a solid segue i followed it it's at some point i don't even care like i'm not trying to do uh super clean Super crisp no. WGN radio. And if anyone's watching and you see all the you know chalk graffiti in here and it feels like you're in a station from like 1997, like the underground that became that thing. Right, it's like, well, right. then it became all corporate and I didn't yeah. like it. But back in the golden days, right. I don't think anybody's you know counting on a clean segue. It's no, fine. We're here. But who cares? But really? the world is no longer set up for clean segue. Like in, no. the, in the world of podcasts and the world of everything uh, out there, like no one really cares. Nobody notices it either. Like If your show's too slick, people are like, yes, you put in the necessary effort to create yep. a program. Right. But if it's junky and uh, or like, you know jagged people are like oh man it's great it's like real you know what i mean yeah it's, it's the way it's the way it's supposed to be so Super yeah clean. We're, we're real now guys we're and doing girls, it and people who identify as either uh right. yeah ladies and gentlemen and those beyond the binary uh all the friends that we're we're talking about when he's talking about it, if you want to look in the studio you can actually follow me on uh instagram uh jw basillo j w b a s i l o jed uh, yeah, follow me there, and you can watch this thing live and, and tune in uh, in that regard, and also watch all kinds of I don't know, watch antics? whatever, what, anti- various antics. Um, mm-hmm. Is my birthday week, so I guarantee, Woo! I guarantee there will be some antics <laughs> on the Instagram. Oh, good. Um, depending on uh, depending on how things go, but uh, enough about my nonsensory. Uh, I'm so happy you're you're here, man. This is the second show, and you're you're my second guest. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, I hope I don't ruin it by being dull. Um, so I'm gonna try to be as cool as I can be. Hey, man. <laughs> I don't know, whatever and stuff. Parents, am I right? Yeah, stay out of my stuff, Mom. Yeah, and the government, or whatever. Uh. Terrific. Uh, will you plug your social media real quick while we're warming up here? <laughs> uh, let's see. You can find... Uh, so, I also work with uh, Wild Claw Theater, which is a horror theater in town. Horror! It's amazing horror. to me how horror. many people look at me and go, Really? And I'm like, huh? Do you? did you hear what I said? Yes. You heard the extra R in there? I just want to make sure, because what would that be? You know, because mm-hmm. people that are just like, hmm, I don't know what that be. I'm like, it's not a thing. What you what you want to think about is horror. Horror what you theater. Heard was something completely different and doesn't make sense to me. But anyway, horror theater. Uh, and uh, you can find us on Facebook, Wild Claw Theater. You can find us on Instagram, Wild Claw Theater. You can find us on Twitter, all the same. You can find us on the website, which is wildclawtheater.com. For me personally, uh, you can find me on Facebook. That's easy to find. Z A G O R E N. It's great. My last name every. Letter sounds like another letter in the alphabet. <laughs> so when I'm on the phone with somebody, I'm always like, Z like zebra, A like apple, G like George. They're like, oh, I think I got it. I'm like, no, believe me, you no, don't yeah, got it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Z-A-G-O-R-E-N on Facebook. You can follow along on Instagram, which is Schwa Gorin, S-H-U-A-G-O-R-E-N. My mother called me and was like, S- Wait S-H-U-A, Schwa. Like Joshua? Yeah, and then Gorin. Like Zagorin, G O R E N, and she's like, I don't understand your your Schwagorin. I'm like, well, I'm gonna let you take a few minutes and figure that out since you named me, and we're gonna put this thing together. So it's just Schwagorin. Yeah, that's it. You're it's so easy. slick. It's Isn't so it slick. fun. It's it easy is. to say too. I actually slick. like it better than my actual name. Schwagorin. Schwagorin. 
Wow. I, mean, I, I wish you hadn't told me that because now it's going to stick. <laughs> now it's a problem. Good. I'm, um, I'm fine with it. Hey, but I, I do want to talk about horror theater. I, I did not know that Wild Claw was strictly a horror theater. Uh, yeah. That's all we've ever done for 10 years this last February. So, uh, And I've only been a part of them for uh, three, four years? No. Six years as an actor, four years as a company member, two years as the artistic director. So kind of went that, that direction because I believe in it. Um, and yeah, just, just horror, which has its ups and downs because it's hard to find horror plays. Mm -hmm. Uh, we've kind of got by on our, uh, flagship show, which is death scribe, which your listeners might be interested in. Uh, it's uh, a live radio, uh, horror contest. Um, and if you just look up Death Scribe on Google, you'll find out all about it. It's on so, our website. All right, you're gonna, we're going we're gonna to go piece by piece here. So all right, take what is a live radio horror so, contest? So like uh, The Shadow or Dick Tracy sure. or any of the old 30s shows with Foley and Mike's. Mm -hmm. And that's the radio. But we just do it contemporary stories. So it's like, um, like The Outer Limits or Night Gallery or The Twilight Zone. Live radio, but contemporary stories and the show is like um we send out a call which our um submissions window opens in a week may 1st uh closes july 31st so if you have a 10 minute radio horror show write it down email it in it's all anonymous and we pick five out of we usually get about 200 uh from around the world we pick our favorite five and we give those five to five directors in chicago that produce them, put them together with a live Foley artist, and we put them up on stage for one night in December. Usually it's the first Monday in December, but I think it's the second Monday this year. Uh, and then it's like the whole show is like Prairie Home Companion meets Tales from the Crypt. Like That's we have so cool. commercials, live music, it's a big rock band, it's a really crazy night. Uh, and then we pick a winner. At the end of that, we have seven judges, and they're usually celebrity judges. Uh, I mean, I could name drop all the really cool people we had, but my favorite one that I, I want to mention is we had the original Jason Voorhees, uh, Ari Lehman, who is a Chicagoan, came in, and he was great and crazy. Um, but we've had major authors, uh, celebrities. Just we could, we could do this all day. But, like, the, the, the seven choose the winner, and then the winner gets a trophy and a cash prize, and it's a whole big to-do. That's so cool. If you go to our website and go to Deathscribe, you can hear the past couple of years, so you can kind of get a vibe of what we're looking for, but a lot of radio, uh, like audio dramas, audio radio dramas, podcast dramas, um, have this really like thirties vibe where it's like, we're recreating the glory oh, days right, of sure, the yeah. you know, magical age radio. And <laughs> could, could you do just a little more of that voice for me? <laughs> Last week I saw the Kaiser was crossing the Delaware, but in the <laughs> end it turns out old Johnny took him home. Now we have, Coming up next is a song that uh, defined a generation. Here it is, Huckabuck by Johnny and the Lemons. And it's just like some horrible, oh, that's slow so, that's fun. radio. that go it, it happens all the time that they're like, oh, yeah, we're part of this radio drama show. And I'm like, neat. Then I go and I see it and just like, this is, the, <laughs> this is Harvey Potato Hour. And I'm like, oh, man, come on. It's 2018. So that's what we're doing is contemporary stories, contemporary voices, horror but with an old school like uh, vintage delivery. So to, the medium obviously is important. I mean, the re the reason that the uh, back in the Johnny Potato Hour, back in that time, that was the only medium where you could well, really absolutely. deliver 
you know, horror, deliver horror to an audience as opposed to them reading. And if you go back and listen to some of the old ones, like um, like Night Gallery or uh, 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 not our, uh, not the Outer Limits, Lights Out is a okay. good one to find. Be warned, it was the '30s, so it's a little racist. But Ooh. you got You got to like remember and and just be glad it's 2018. Sure, there are some that are super fantastic and still frightening. Um, but yeah, every now and then, because it was the 30s, you're kind of like, oh, was that acceptable back then? Interesting. Interesting indeed. Uh, but the um, but the vibe is still there and still freaky, and it still works. But again, that was at the time when horror stories and and that kind of stuff was Boris Karloff and uh, you know moving into Hammer horror. But back in the old William Castle days, where it was like. The, the thing with a thousand feet. And you're like, oh, the horror of being stepped on a thousand times. And it was, it was, it's schlocky now because we've progressed. But back then, yeah, man, like the blob scared people. Of course. So what's the point of doing it now? And I, and I don't mean that confrontationally, but no, like, what is it, what is it about the medium that still works now? Because we're living in a, a, a time when podcasts are, pos- are, are popular. Mm-hmm. It's a, a popular medium, and that kind of grew up alongside us. The uh, old guard, when they ran the company back in the day, wanted to kind of recreate the old days of going to see radio live, which they would do, which people still do. Sure. Um, but we wanted it to be, but they wanted it to be, you know, legitimately frightening. And like, like, let's see if we can actually scare people with these this old school method of using like foley tables and actors on mics and things like that. And it worked. It really works. Uh, the voices have become more contemporary, and that makes me happy. The vibe is all the like. If you go back and listen to 2017, which was our tenth Death Scribe, the 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 stories are very modern. The voices are very modern. It still has a vintage feel to it, but without a lot of people talking like this. Like it's sure. a, it's a standard radio show, but now, which I think makes it really cool, especially when the fear is you know social based. Uh, all like we had a lot of pieces last year about electronics going haywire and things like that. So I thought that was interesting. It's also a good like litmus test for that small group of people that, that get in every year where their heads are at, you know? So if you go back and listen to different decades or different years, the, the general vibe is different for what frightens people. Sure. Especially I'm very excited. And by that, I mean really mortified, but also excited to hear what a year of Trump has done to these horror writers I'm like, yeah. I want to see where your anxiety is coming from now. Because like two years ago, when we didn't have that problem, or three years ago, how long has it been? What year is it? <laughs> yeah. Because um, uh, it feels like 50. Yes. Uh, but if you go even farther back, you know, during the, uh, the like, t- 2013, 2014, it was all very kind of gothic and majestic and magical horror. Like, right. you know, whispers and voices. And, like, last year it was like, my hearing aid's broken and I'm hearing dead kids. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, what a detour. Uh, so it's it's interesting to hear. But why um, why horror for you? Oh, for me, man. It's like, my they're always, they're always that kid. Like, in every elementary school, there was always yeah. those couple of weird kids that's my, that's me. who were super me. into horror. Totally, uh, 100%. I didn't. I wasn't into it when I was a kid. I don't yeah. know. It just the a lot of it was the appeal or the fantasy or whatever it was. But um, it took I, me. It what, took, where did it, where did it happen for you? It took me a while to accept that I was into it, and I know that sounds weird, but go with me on this. Um, but like when I was a kid, uh, scary movies really freaked me out, and I couldn't handle it. And I would get I would get nauseous and emotionally right. upset 
that I remember seeing. <laughs> I remember going to a, a sleepover with friends and we watched the Lawnmower Man, the Jeff Fahey uh, oh, I'm Brosnan vehicle. I'm familiar. I'm sure most most of our people above thirty will remember that film as the one that showed what VR can oh, do. Oh man! And then it's they possible. Yeah. Then right after that, didn't D. Snyder make a VR movie? Yes, uh, Strangeland. Strangeland. Yeah, yeah, man, that's not that one. Better than better the Lawnmower than the Lawnmower Man. Um, so. Uh, I saw that movie and it made me sick. It made me physically sick, and I had to go home. I'd leave the the uh, sleep sleepover, which my friends never let me forget. Sure, for um, decades, it's okay. Um, but I don't. I don't know. It just emotionally affected me so hard because when I was a kid, all comedies. It was all sure. like sure. Uh, stupid Farrelly Brothers comedies. Because uh, I wanted to be a stand up comedian when I was a kid. Uh, but there was this this weird desire to overcome watching horror films because I was like there's something cool here but I can't handle it and I don't know what it is mm-hmm. we uh, would see Alien 3 and that's when I decided I could handle it in a movie theater and really get through it that being said Alien 3 is not that scary it's a great movie though I love that movie we'll fight all night but um, uh, David Fincher forever but like it, it was in, and I wouldn't even consider that movie a horror movie it's still sci-fi but like it, watching that and feeling that same gut pain and going I need to overcome this because there's a power there that I want to be a part of. Uh, and then that turned into being obsessed with Tales from the Crypt when I was a, you know, a little kid and not being allowed to watch it and sneaking down into the, the kitchen because that was the TV that was the easiest to mask the sound. Ah. And it was a little TV in the kitchen. Right, right, right. So, like, me in my pajamas, I would sneak downstairs, go in the back way because my kitchen had two entrances with doors because we had dogs. Mm-hmm. So I'd sneak in the other way because the other way was farther away from my parents' bedroom. And, you know, I'd climb up onto the, like, the chair and I would, like, turn the volume way down or I'd plug my headphones in. But I was terrified of doing that because I knew that if I had my headphones in, I'd turn around and they'd be right behind me. And, <laughs> it's you know, its own horror genre. Exactly. So I was already nervous. But, like, if you turn it way down and, you know, got close, I would watch Tales from the Crypt uh, at, like, 10 o'clock on HBO. Wow. Um, and that's what got me really into it because it was gory and scary in quotation marks. But it was the... That vibe, the practical effects, the uh, the timing, the uh, and it was funny, but then it would go from funny to devastating at the same time. And I it, I love that transition. Um, it made me happy to read the Jordan Peele after he got all these accolades for doing Get Out, rightfully so. Uh, when they were interviewing him, you mentioned that uh, he attributes all the success of that film to his growing up as a comedian in Chicago, as an improviser in Chicago, and it it. It validates my theory that I kind of started to form when I was in elementary school and watching Tales from the Crypt that horror and comedy are like sisters because comedy is all about math. Yeah. It's all about timing. Oh, yeah. It's the same thing with horror. It's all about yep. math. It's all about timing. You know when you biff a scare when you watch a movie where you're like, oh, that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, because it's all about setup release or set up for two hours only to have no release and then you're just left devastated. Like that stuff happens too. Uh, and I don't. It's interesting because we don't. When we talk about horror in Wild Claw, it's not about scary because that's so broad and relative. I, you know, I don't know what scares you unless you tell me. Right. Just like I don't know what makes you laugh unless you tell me. Sure. What we aim for is honesty, and that I think is what sets it up. So if the story itself is a horrifying story, the scares will be there in some form. Like, we just have to time it so that we feel like this is 
the journey we want to take you on. And do you walk into like the blood and guts world as well? Is yeah. it, there's a lot of gore? Um, some of our shows do. We yeah. do have uh, we have we talk a big game about doing a lot of gore, but we don't end up actually doing a lot of gore because we find we don't need it. Like you know, uh, we're more on the dread side of things, yeah. more on the jumps from here and from now and then. Uh, this show that we got coming up, Future Echoes, that opens Friday, has some gore, some really unsettling gore mm-hmm. uh, that you're not expecting. Um, that really bugged me out last night because we were watching a run, and I was like, "Ugh." I hate that. I love that. Uh, but uh, not always. You know, we're not a splatter show. We don't do like Evil Dead the Musical. Although, a lot of our... Is someone doing Evil Dead the Musical? Oh, yeah. Have you not seen it? It's no. bonkers. It's hilarious. It's it's like a late night... Oh, I love that. Um, splatter fest. Yeah. And they do... Here in the city? I don't know if they're doing it now. Oh, okay. Um, anywhere. But they did here. And it toured. I thought it was off Broadway for a while. That's weird. Um, I didn't know that. It's Rocky Horror level. Fun. Gotcha, gotcha. Like you go out to just like, oh, we're going to go see Evil Dead and we're going to get covered in blood and we're going to sit in the splash zone, all that stuff. That's and it's fun. fun. It's fun. But that's not... Not the kind of stuff that you're... Not, you're not what we do. Really it's doing. not our, our, our flavor of horror, right? Right. Um, there is a, another company, Jackalope, that's doing a show uh, by Ike Holter uh, called uh, Light Fantastic that's got a, a horror vibe to it, like a Spielberg horror vibe, though, not like a... Sure. Not like a carpenter, which is we're more. That's a good example. We're sure. more on the side of John Carpenter, Wes for the, Craven. For the, for the listener, will you explain? Give a, a couple of touch points for John Carpenter, Wes Craven. So the thing, if you've seen the thing, the Kurt Russell movie where they're all in the the Arctic and it's you know practical nightmares, very Lovecraftian, where it's stuff that'll make you go crazy if you look at it. That kind of horror where it gets in deep. Um, Kubrick, like The Shining, or. Uh, Something like the, the the fun that you're having is that you're disturbed right, versus right, like right. Tobe Hooper or uh, Spielbergian horror like Poltergeist where the fun you're having is, oh, something's going to jump at me and it's going to be, oh, no. Sure. Guys. Both totally acceptable. But we just tend to vibe more with the dread and the, um, the, 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 the gut punchy kind of horror yeah. where we're not going to rely on shocks and jumps although we will have them right we're more on that devastating um again i keep using lovecraft because we were founded as a lovecraft theater and then they realized that's not going to last yeah it's not there's sustainable. only so many stories right it's not sustainable not all of them good um also lovecraft was not the best person so let's we'll yeah, deviate right. sure, but we'll sure, sure. swim in those waters uh and lovecraft and and edgar Allan poe as well uh we have touches of that in there we have that phantasmagoria kind of vibe where most of our horror is human experience personified as monsters ghosts that kind of stuff versus the psychological horror where it's serial killers and that kind of stuff dude yeah I mean, like that was the first i never saw horror movies as a kid because i was afraid i was going to be afraid of them mm. and it wasn't about i'm afraid it right. was i'm afraid if i am afraid or feel afraid that i'm gonna feel bad about myself i don't know you know how that goes yeah uh, well, it's embarrassing so i didn't I, got, I came online and i was always an anxious kid but when i was about 10 11 like in, when the puberty thing started happening i my whole anxiety disorder came online there you go which i found out the whole family has and so i went my folks took me because I don't know why they just were at this point where they were starting to take myself and my older sister to movies that they wanted to see also. Nice. Like we're at this you're you're old enough that we could just as long as it doesn't have sex in it because apparently right. that can't was watch the, that. we can't, can't we can't that. see naked people but you could watch all kinds of stuff. So oh, they yeah. took myself and my older sister to see 7. 
in the theater, right? <laughs> now, Seven, uh, if you haven't seen it, is Fincher, right, who, yeah. I, who I love. Um, and I, we're sitting there, and we see the thing, and this I'm, I don't sleep anymore because I, I was already having some trouble sleeping. I, was, I had the you same know, problem like, when I was And I was, I was super anxious, wound up. Uh, and then my folks take me to see Seven, <laughs> and I did not sleep for weeks for I was just terrified of being asleep because it wasn't so much um, the movie itself was scary but it was like I'm starting to figure out the world I'm 11 12 years old Wait, how old are you now 35. 35. Going to be okay, 35 so got, in a day. So I got two years on you. Right. Okay, go on. So I'm starting to figure out what the world is. I'm starting to feel, starting to realize that the world is really, can be really ugly and, and awful. I'm seeing my first horror movie. Okay. Well, whatever you want to call it. I would consider seven a horror movie. Yeah. So I'm seeing my first horror movie. I'm coming online. I'm already terrified, and now I know where it can go. Like the right. world became real and overnight. That's, that's a heck of a movie to learn boundaries for. Yeah, because that movie has no boundaries. None. And it just keeps moving. Um, yeah, I, I too had a. I too had. Uh-huh. No, I, I also had a uh, an experience with Seven that that kind of shaped where I wanted to to look at for for my entertainment and what I get. Uh, you know, um, because when my mother who was the one that introduced me to all the really dark, weird things. Cause my dad is very, um, straight and narrow. Mm-hmm. He was an Eagle scout. My mother is this little Italian hippie that, you know, got a, a job and, you know, left it all behind, but had that upbringing. Sure. And so she, she would sneak the, the fun stuff my way. Uh. So I remember when they went to go see Pulp Fiction, was that 94? Yep. So I was 14 and I, you know, just had my bar mitzvah. I was young, fresh-eyed, little Jewish kid in Iowa, so I didn't know what was going on. And she, she was like, "All right, I think you can handle this movie, but we can't watch it with your dad around because he won't let me." So, sure, we watched that movie together on VHS in the living room. And I remember the part that really disturbed me was the scene in the basement with um, Ving Rhames oh, and God, yeah. uh, Bruce Willis because that scene is shot like a horror movie. Yeah, and. I started catching that in other films. I was like, I, I want to explore why this really freaked me out. So then we watched Seven. Right. And I was like, oh, there it is. Yeah. It's that, it's that stuff in the shadows, stuff jumping out at me, it's just, you know, that humans are meat, that kind of stuff. Right. Really started to get into my head. And that's, I think, right around when I started watching movies and not just Tales from the Crypt, where I was like, I'm going to watch The Exorcist. I'm going to watch all these movies that I was told I couldn't watch. And then I started reading Stephen King when I was in sixth grade, and to the point where my mother had to lock all of the Stephen King books in the house up in a oh, chest. Oh, they had the, they had them, and you couldn't get at them. Because my mother would read Stephen oh, King. Oh wow! So I started reading it, and she put them in a chest and literally locked it with a key, and was like, <laughs> "Which you, is its own horror movie." Which is its own horror movie. Uh, but it was like a lucite case because my parents are Midwestern <laughs> Jews, so it's not really scary so much as just dangerous to touch because yes, yeah. everything's sharp. Uh, and made of like triple pane glass where you're like, why do you have this? <laughs> I could trip and die if I fell into this thing. But well, they were we like, wouldn't want you to read anything. Well, no, what they did want me, my, my mother was loved that I was reading. She's like, I need you to read other books. Yep. So then I started reading, you know, classics and, um, like Moby Dick and all that kind of, uh, was my favorite book when I was in like junior high. But like, I remember having, uh, that, ke- that chest and being like, oh, one of these days I'm going to read enough classics that I can get back in there and get on the horse again. Um, yeah, so that's that's I guess me. It was always that desire to find a way to tame my anxiety, and I think it because I you know I'm an anxious kid too. Yeah, I'm Jewish. Yeah, I grew up in Lutheran Iowa, so that didn't help. 
That's um, got to be weird too. Yeah, it was really weird. Were you? Was it like Corn, Iowa? Yeah. Uh, no, it's suburban Iowa, but Clive. If okay, uh, good way to Slow describe it. So you're from Clive, <laughs> Iowa. A name so nice they gave it to your barber. Uh, it, it, <laughs> if you're British. If you're British, uh, I. <laughs> um, it was like if Mayberry had uh, had insurance salesman living there. So I find the country so terrifying, especially like cornfields and that sort of stuff. Well, so okay, it wasn't necessarily that. It was all developments. That oh, I grew up okay, in. okay. So think of it like if we colonized the moon and then terraformed it and it was all owned by corporations, that's what it was like growing up in Clive. So everything around you was like big open crazy grass fields that went on like in that movie Toys with Robin Williams, but all of a sudden in the middle of that field would be like a Panera. And you're oh, like, okay. oh, yeah, interesting. Yeah, just sprawl. Yeah, so it was like, it was countryside, but it was it was countryside that was owned by corporate America. So it was even more surreal. So like you would see these stretches of woods that would go on for miles, but as soon as you'd come out the other side, it would be like a shopping mall. Like the newest, most cleanest shopping mall you've ever seen. That's weird. So it was like li- literally growing up on the moon um, because there was no connection to organic life. It was all pre-packaged and corporate but four years behind the rest of the country so you know we are uh, the, the the coolest stuff we had that was modern and, and and contemporary was the the like we were just talking about this before we started doing this i used to work at a in our, our high school radio station uh and it was the only alternative rock station in iowa uh and so we would that was our window into and and tv were the only two ways. Like every, everything else. Was so just your like, high school station was the only alternative music station in the state of the Iowa. State of Iowa yeah. How is that possible? They've got they have Iowa University and everything else. Like they've got they have some liberal there, beacons. I mean, there had to be. Uh, but when we were when we had started working on it, it was it, the FCC was like, yeah, no, this is a legit station, and like had to maintain it and that oh, kind wow. of stuff. So we had strict code, and we learned how to run a radio station because all of a sudden the teachers were like, well, just let the kids run it, but we have to mold them because it's, yeah, you the, can't, it's, it's in, a big Inmates deal. running the asylum at that point. Uh, and there were some great nights. Like there was when the Matrix came out. Uh, I, yeah, I was high school, so I must have been a senior, junior, senior, somewhere in there. Yeah, so I was, it was 98, right? 97, 98? Yeah, I was about a sophomore or so, yeah. Um, and uh, we – because like when that movie came out – and. I love that this is my old man moment where I'm like, man, I, when the Matrix came out, we didn't Back know the in plot. Our day. Back in our day, we didn't know what the Matrix was. <laughs> now we know, you kids today. Uh, but like it was, we didn't know what the plot was. When the movie came out, it was just this random trailer that looked really cool with weird music and it just kept saying, what is the Matrix? Uh, and we didn't even really have the internet like we have it now. So it wasn't course, even yeah. that. That, you know, we could do what is the Matrix and, like, look it up, but it didn't resonate like it does now. Uh, I remember when the movie came out, our radio station was going to do a live broadcast from the premiere. So we went and we had mics that were remote. And every now and then they would check in with us. And we'd be like, I can't talk right now. This is the coolest thing I've ever seen. And You're then, supposed to check in from the theater, from the yeah, inside yeah. of the every theater. Now and, every now and then, we go, oh, like, wow. this is amazing. I don't even know how to describe what I'm seeing right now. I remember everyone talk, coming to me. Uh, every friend that saw it was just like, dude, you have to you, see absolutely. The Matrix. It will change your whole life. And it kind of did. It kind of like, did. It, every movie from that point, 
it changed. I think it changed movie making entirely because every movie that used CGI from then on, well, the Matrix was the bellwether. Yeah. Like we compared everything to the Matrix. So if it wasn't, if if the CGI was not as cool as the Matrix, it didn't work. It sucked, and no well, one liked it anymore. What do you call? It? And it still works. Like uh, it's still good. I still watch it uh, on Blu-ray, and it still looks good. It's got a great vintage kind of green tint to it, so it's got that '90s sort of computer vibe going. Uh, the, it's still a stellar movie, uh, regardless of whether or not you want to acknowledge its sequels. It on its own is like a class. It's still a classic movie that still holds up. Yeah, it's I saw got this. its own vibe to it. I love it. I love it. Did you like the sequels? Um, I enjoyed the second one. Me too. To a point, and it, if it is on, I'll watch it, mm-hmm. like on TNT or whatever. If you're just like it's Thanksgiving and I'm too full, I don't want to move. And, oh, The Matrix too, huh? Yeah, I remember that movie. And this fondness, mm-hmm. some of that did not hold up as well, but some of the fight scenes did, especially the, the highway scene, is still really oh, yeah, cool yeah, yeah. to watch. I still um, want one of those Cadillac CTSs. Oh, I want, uh, if you're listening, Cadillac. <laughs> I want uh, twin uh, ghost dudes to be my bodyguards. <laughs> A pair like, of albino guys with, yeah, man, uh, with, with dreadlocks. Like white dreadlocks yeah. that can float. I'm like, yep, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, 100%. Uh, the next one, however... The third? Oh. Is pile of it's trash. Real trash it's like somebody taking apart a radio a st- like a like a stereo yeah It'd be like you want to listen to some music and you going no because no. we're going to be here all night trying to put that back together i saw it at uh the what's the big one on on michigan avenue the 600 like the giant whatever it is yeah. amc uh and it was opening weekend and it was middle of the day i think it was if that's correct uh for the story sure it was opening weekend sure. middle of the day and we're sitting there and we're watching the film and the place is packed you know and it's like one of those first stadium seating kind of situations we're all in there and when the movie ends near the end like just audibly everyone was like god (laughs) (laughs) people are mad just like i did not take the day off from my job at hard rock cafe (laughs) to come down here and watch this absolute tripe we watched the we did a thing where we watched the matrix in the day the morning then we watched uh reloaded in at in evening like right up until the last moment and then went right right to the theater to watch the third one yeah and we were all psyched. We're like, "Where's this going to go? How mm-hmm. are they going to end this?" Because if you at home that don't know and did not watch the second Matrix movie, it ends on a cliffhanger, which was unheard of in the '90s. Like nobody no, did yeah, that. Yeah, everything was a clean ending. Yeah, everything. And it was huge when that happened. We, we were like, "No way!" Well, now we got to see the third one, and they were smart to do it because if they had not do it, done it, no one would have seen the third movie. So here we were. Waiting for this movie to start, jazzed, and I'll never forget, like, 30 minutes in, we were all like, oh, no. Like, you could just feel the collective, Uh, new There's a new Oracle. Uh, How long is this movie? It's four hours? Oh, no. They created all these brand new rules to work inside of, and this weird train metaphor. That, like, the special effects at the end were pretty cool, like the... The attack and like all the CGI and how it looked, it had a great vibe. But I just remember sitting there going, "Man, I'm bored. Yep. Wow, is this dull? How am I bored? There's mechs. It's These people everything. have mechs. Yeah, I love mechs. They're shooting 
giant squid monsters that are also robots. How am I bored? Because we went because we went too far. Because the oh, first the first Matrix, the, the fight scenes were were the fight scenes were dope, but it was smart. Yeah, and it, it was, was interesting. It, was it created a world, and you're like, I love. I can't. I can't wait to see how far this world can expand. Right. But when it gets too crazy, well, they expanded the wrong part of the world. Sure. We didn't care about the real world. The real world was horrible and sludgy and mean, and we didn't. Yeah. We, we was like, you know, I don't want to ruin everything. I want this to always to be the story where it's like, ah, oh, the real world is dumb and everyone's miserable and is drinking mm-hmm. their own pee. But then they can go into this computer world where they're superheroes. So where were they drinking cool. their own pee? I don't remember if that actually happened. Oh, okay, good. Uh, I just assume it did. I'm not a fact checker, but I also was like, However, I feel like I would have remembered I drinking my I, own no, pee. No, they didn't drink their own pee in the movie. However, we do do that on the International Space Station, so there you go. Oh, that's right. They have the filtration. They, that's how they. Yeah. That's the thing about space travel, man. You got to drink gotta, your own you pee, drink, bro. You got to be cool with drinking pee. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. That's probably the best time as ever uh, to segue. I want to ask you a couple questions about our buddy Chad the Bird who's yeah, going to be yeah, here yeah, a little yeah. bit um, before we uh, hear a little more rock and roll and, and do the news. Uh, so... You've got uh, a character with whom you work. I do. Uh, his name's Chad the Bird. His name is Chad. And give me a little bit of the, You can see Chad every single Saturday at the Green Mill at 3 p.m. at the Paper Machete, which mm-hmm. is one of, the, one of the coolest, if not the coolest show in town. It's an absolute blast. It's free. It's every Saturday. It's day drinking in the coolest bar in the city. Uh, it's a blast. And you can see Chad the Bird every, pretty much every single week, um, certainly more often than not. And he is a bird. That's and he true. speaks. He's got opinions. Uh, tell me about the genesis of the character. Um, oh, gosh. That's a story. Um, so, Chad the Bird, man. Um, we st- All right. So, back in 2004, um, <laughs> I want to say. Maybe 2005. Oof. Uh, wow. That just made me feel really old. Hang on a second. I got to breathe. Cool. Anyway. Good. Yeah. Um, I uh, did a show at the Corn Servatory. So for those of you who are Chicago actors, you probably did your first show at the Corn Servatory. On Lincoln, right? On Lincoln. Um, and it was a porn-themed sketch show, which I thought was... It was about porn? Yeah, well, it, the th- it was a sketch show, like all Chicago sketch shows generate material, right, that right. kind of stuff. But the theme of the sketch show was porn, which I thought was hilarious. Because I was like, how are you going to do that live on stage? What jokes are you going to make? That's, that's a great way to start. Way to just get right out there, like right on the jump. Um, and I got asked to write three sketches. So I wrote uh, a couple. The, I wrote one about George W. Bush, who was the president at the time. And he had a robot that was a sex robot. And it was really funny and, and messed up. Uh, I can't remember what the other one I wrote was because it must not have been that great. But then the third one I wrote was about a puppet and a person having sex for the first time. With each other. With the each first, other. First, so not the first time. They're not losing their virginities to each other. No, it's just the first time. This is the first time they've come together in come Congress. Come together in Congress. Okay, terrific. And it had, we came at it from the point of view of somebody sleeping with someone of a different ethnicity and how their parents react to it. And the whole thing was like, oh, your dad's not going to like me because I'm a puppet, that kind of right. stuff. Uh, you know, respectfully, it wasn't it, that wasn't it wasn't so over the top that people were like, "All right, we get it." But yeah. it, it, we came at it from that perspective, and then we decided to do it. We, we another layer onto that was like all the stuff that goes wrong when you have sex for the first time with someone, and the sh- the bit was called "That's never happened before," and so the tag on the end of everything that goes horribly wrong was, "Oh, well, that's never happened before." Sure. And it turned into kind of a vaudeville routine, and it was me and this woman in a, in a teddy. So she was on uh, the bed. The bed was a riser, 
that we painted and, and stuff, and, and it looked like a puppet show. It's cause, like it was like a cart, like a, right. a wooden facade, right, right, right. And she was in like a negligee and like a feather boa, and Chad was the puppet that I built for that routine. When did you start building puppets? When I was in college, because uh, when I went to school, uh, just a bit of a tangent. Um, I went to Emerson College out in Boston, and just uh, which was Hogwarts for East Coasters. Yeah, um, and so just hung out with you know, and, and it's a great school. I mean, they really just unlike Juilliard, where it's it's like we're going to murder you into greatness. Right. This place was like we're just going to throw you in the pool. Did and you see if you can do it? Did you play in the comedy workshop there? Yeah, I wasn't in the I wasn't in the ECW, but I knew them. Um, for those of you who don't know, Emerson Comedy Workshops, like Dennis Leary, all those cats came out of there. Yeah. Uh, but I knew all those guys. Uh, and so they didn't really bring me in because I was in the conservatory program. So I was one of the weird kids. That all oh, so in- you were like a real actor. Yeah. I was not, one of those weird not, kids. Not playing around doing the silly makeup. No, but I wanted to, and it made my professors very angry. Ah. Uh, but my, my minor was in puppetry just because I was like, well, I'm here. I might as well get to know the – might as well go as bonkers as I can with it. I'd just like to remind everyone that this is Josh Zagorin. He had a puppetry minor. Yeah. Puppetry. America. Minor. I still thank you. At Emerson. At Emerson College. His parents are very proud. Oh, they are now. <laughs> it took a while. <laughs> um, but uh, it was because uh, we were in a movement. One of our, The thing about the conservatory is like 15 hours a day for four years, and you had to be with the same 12 people in every class. So we all graduated the conservatory but failed the college because we had no gen ed creds because we were exhausted. Uh-huh. And these classes were all the stuff that you hear about acting classes where it's like people crying and losing their minds and screaming. And it was – that's why whenever I work on a show now and they're like, we're going to have a check-in. I'm like, no, we're not. It's like, well, I, was like, I did that for four years. I don't have to do it again. I'm emotionally ready. Let's just do this. I, don't, <laughs> I really don't want to hear about your day. I'm uh, a pro. I'm, I'm not even a pro. I, I am – gaslit into believing this works and so <laughs> i am i've drank the kool-aid years ago uh but we were in a movement course and our teacher sarah hickler who's kind of big in the in that scene um mentioned that this guy paul zaloom was coming to emerson if you wanted to take a puppetry course and i freaked out because that was beekman from beekman's world if ah, you guys remember that okay show. okay okay so paul zaloom for those of you who don't know google beekman's world and watch some youtube videos that show shaped Everything we know, uh, everything we had in '90s children's television, so it was came like, from Beacon. It was World. somewhere between like like uh, the Muppet Show and um, uh, Bill Nye the Science Bill, Guy. Well, right? Bill. Okay, so here's the here's the story. So Paul Zaloom was Beekman on Beekman's World, and he at the time all we had was Mr. Wizard. That was the only science show we had, and he was like, "It's boring," and it is. It's boring because sure. it was this old man, and, and no disrespect to o- older gentlemen, but like this guy was like in a sweater vest and butterscotch candy, and you're just like, uh, "Yeah." Uh, it was Mr. Rogers has a special project, right? Mr. Rogers has a special project, but isn't nearly as charming. No offense, Mr. Wizard. And there's a, yeah, there's a lot of voiceover and like, let's see how let's yeah, let's, let's watch look Carol. At the universe. Carol's going to walk upstairs, and do you yeah. understand that physics means that her body is exerting as much force? And literally, as the your eyes are, your eyes would roll back, and you'd be like, I guess I'm learning. It was always on at learning. four in the morning oh, on Nickelodeon. Yeah. So if you couldn't, if you woke up, I, if I woke up early in the morning and couldn't get back to sleep as a kid, I would go downstairs, watch Mr. Wizard on Nickelodeon, out like a light, out like a light, out like a light. Well, it had. It's an ASMR kind of deal, had like a smooth voice yeah, kind of yeah, vibe. Yeah. Um, but Paul Zaloom saw that that just wasn't cutting it. And so he decided he wanted to do – and he's a puppeteer. He's not a scientist. But he wanted to teach remedial physics and science to children. 
And he's like, the way we can do it is appeal to their attention span. So his show Beekman's World was like the first show to do that like wham, bam, kind of crazy sure. 90s right. vibe. And it blew up. And it, it, it reinvented television for children, much like Sesame Street did back in the like 80s. He did in the 90s. Like he shaped how children's television works. So, so he's, coming to, he's coming to Emerson. Well, but here's the sad uh-huh. part. So they're doing their thing. Disney hears about it. Disney wants a piece of it. They create Bill Nye the Science Guy. It eats Beekman's World and cancels him. Sure. So he kind of went crazy and went off on his own and started doing these really dark political found object puppetry work. So then he shows up at Emerson. So I'm psyched because it's Beekman. And then I meet him and I'm like, ooh. And I learn the price that you can pay. (laughs) This is the price of puppetry. This this is the darkness that you can really – because he was just like – not not have and just so distraught and dark and angry dude and it was beautiful his pieces were great he was a mountain of junk that he would have on stage and he would run around and form it kind of like robin williams in a way where he's just like riffing but he would put stuff together and create puppets in front of you and then do these these really awesome routines so he taught a course at emerson on found object puppetry so i worked with him for a while which was really cool but also like Uh, and then there's John Bell, who's one of the Bread and Puppet Theater in New York, and like all those guys work together. So I got in with them and met with them and hung out with them and worked with them, and it just kind of was like this weird little thing I had that I always liked. And then I'm doing the sketch show. I'm like, I need a puppet. I'll build one. I know how to do this. So I built Chad, and that's how he started. And the sketch went so well that we extended, and all anybody talked about, like on on the news because the news came to see the show and there was very little they could show a conservatory show yeah because uh, I mean, those shows are are some of them hit but it, oh yeah are, there's a lot of it's, very first shows exactly, at the conservatory exactly yeah. uh, it's a good place to experiment sure um and so this one hit and we were on the news and we extended forever did it like every saturday night for like three months what was it called uh soft corn porn was the name of that show? Oh, that's, that's a title. Yeah, I know. Soft corn porn. So you do. So you put up Chet. You put up Chad the bird. It really works. And then do you transition the do you transition the character elsewhere, or did it just kind of go on the shelf for a so while? So I moved. So so I kept the puppet. Used him for another show that I wrote called The Temp, which was a puppet show that I wrote. Which was when I was really getting into the idea that maybe we could do like a puppet show thing in Chicago. Mm-hmm. And it was called The Temp, and it ran for for a while uh, in fringe circles um i'd like to bring it back it's a good show um and it was you could probably do it you got the traction now right i we i mean we did it a bunch we've done it like five times uh we did it at the conservatory for a run actually uh the concept is it's like the office but a pup it's like the office meets peewee's playhouse so the idea that's like what if all of the characters that peewee talks to are like a water cooler and a coffee maker and a copy machine and that was the show and it was like we had five people working in this office where the computer in the office was being uh, gaslit by the answering machine into taking over the office. And because he wanted because the the oh, man, I'm, I remember this show. Uh, the answering machine wanted to, con- to destroy humanity. So he used the computer system to take over the office, had a robot delivered that from from um that he built himself that took over the office and so the temp who's the only person that's not connected to the system had to fight the robot to save the day and that was the concept but and this was, is a puppet show it was all puppets except for the humans so like 
the office managers were all people, uh, and then the temp was a person. Uh, but the copy machine, it was a copy machine, a coffee maker, a water cooler, uh, answering service, uh, a computer screen, uh, a bunch of styrofoam cups, which if you really want to play the logic doesn't make sense because they're not robots. Right. Uh, but who cares? And Chad was one of the guys that worked in the office. We had a puppet that worked that, there too. That worked there also. Right. Uh, and we played that for a while. So that was the other thing I used Chad for. And then I moved to L.A. And I was there for two, three years. Uh, and people were asking me questions about... You know, hey, do you do any puppet work? Because I, I, you know, because you go from one city to another, you meet people that you knew in that city or people that know you from that city. Uh, and so I had a little show called Chad Live on LiveVideo.com, and it was like a, you know, you had your own little audience and you had your own little bandwidth and you sure. could do like a live show. And that actually was kind of popular in a weird way. It had regulars and people that would come on and watch, and it was all hosted by this bird. And then I moved back to Chicago. Christopher Pyatt, who hosts the Paper Machete, saw that from a friend of his, asked me to come and do the show one day uh, at Ricochet's when we first started, and yeah, and now here we are. It has he has his own little little you know world that people really dig on, and it makes me happy that he gets to hang out with the people who are really into it. Uh, but that's it. Oh, good. I'm I would have been uh, much better in that transition, but I'm trying to restart this Instagram live. Uh, I'm. I'm glad you're here, man, and we're gonna meet Chad in just a in just a second here. Yeah, uh, that's but so yeah, dope. That's, it's that's wow. That's kind of the that's the shortened version of the story. But like, uh, and where's he from? Has he got a backstory? Did Chad, you build Chad all the that? Bird? Yeah, Chad the Bird's from uh, your method like that. <laughs> well, when we were, we were coming up with him, somebody asked me about that, and I was like, I don't know. So I sat down one day and I uh, did a variety of substances and decided I was just gonna write from the hip and came up with this ridiculous super stoner story about um, this guy from Laguna Beach who found a bird on his front steps and raised it. He was a teenager and took it to college, and then the bird grew up alongside him, but he was raised essentially by a you know teenage boy. And so, so he talks like a teenage kid. So he talks like a teenage kid from Laguna Beach. Like That's how he thinks. <laughs> but then Chad grew up enough that he could go get his own job, and he did, and he started getting sh- jobs as a journalist and as a TV host, which he kind of sort of did. And then that takes us to the paper machete where now Chad's job is an op-ed columnist for a live magazine. But he was raised by a teenage boy going through uh, college. So, like, his whole world is that, and that's his base. Um, And so it's what if, I don't know, Jeff, it's like a a combo of, like, Jeff Daniels, Bill and Ted, and uh, uh, Lenny Bruce, and then, like, Bob Woodward all rolled into this weird little pink creature that is caffeinated. And we're gonna uh, and we're gonna meet him in just a minute. And right now we're gonna let's play a little bit of rock and roll. I'm gonna we're gonna get the restart. We're gonna restart the uh, Instagram live so you can watch Chad and I have a conversation. Um, <laughs> but uh, Josh Gordon, thanks for thanks Thank for sticking around, around, man. Let's uh, let's hit, hit a little bit of rock and roll. Let's do a throwback. Hey, let's man. do a throwback. Let's this get, is the hold steady, baby. Let's get weird. All right, direct from L.A., that's Cardioid with their tune uh, title. Uh, they might be coming actually to town soon, which is pretty exciting. What is going on in this world? You know what? I think it is just about time. Going to have to do the news because the, t- the news theme didn't come through. All right. You know what? I told you. It's a brand new show in a brand new studio, and uh, sometimes some things don't always work exactly the way that we planned. But you know what? It's free. No one is paying you to be here, and you're not paying to be here. 
So you'll take these news and enjoy it. I love setting the tone in such a great way. All right, ready? <clears throat> radio voice, radio, radio voice, radio, radio voice, radio voice. <clears throat> news. Senator Bernie Sanders drew, uh, drew both good publicity and a number of detractors when he tweeted last week, Cardi B is right. If we really are going to make America great, we need to strengthen Social Security so the seniors are able to retire with the dignity they deserve. This tweet was created in response to an earlier Cardi B interview where she stated FDR is the, is the real Make America Great Again president because if it weren't for him, older Americans wouldn't even get Social Security. Sanders was also quoted as saying he feels pull up at the Gucci clutch, spit and clutch rhymes, flyer than a big B. With a blood tie, don't do much, he get hard when I bust wines, no straws for this juice box, got one time, is a great example of his economic dreams for the country in action because despite his reputation as a democratic socialist, sometimes you just got a stunt on a hater. Last week, the Cuban government picked Miguel Diaz-Canel as the next in line to be president. Cuba has been controlled by the Castro since Fidel took over in 1959 during the communist revolution. More than 40 years later, his brother Raul was in control. Now, Cuban officials have tapped Diaz-Canel to take over as head of the Communist Party. In recent years, former President Barack Obama spearheaded advancements in civility between the U.S. and Cuba. What's good, Barry? Despite this, Cuba and communism in general still have a long way to go in regard to winning over the American public. Some feel communism will always be a dirty word in America, no matter how many times your roommate explains how communism is just like his friend's Evan Farm. So super chill. All right. You know what? I botched that punchline. We're going to keep moving. After the news broke last week that Donald Trump is getting set to enter talks with North Korea and maybe about South Korea, maybe about shutting down their missile program. No one actually knows for sure. Trump went on to temper expectations over the weekend, saying we are a long way from conclusion on North Korea. Maybe some things will work out. Maybe they won't. Only time will tell. I, for one, am thrilled that he cleared that up. And we're all sure this is going to work out fine. Yesterday, the Senate confirmed Representative Jim Bridenstine of Oklahoma to head up NASA, the agency in charge of air and space, despite the fact that he's denied climate change exists and has no science experience. This, I'm sure, will also work out just fine. In related news, four baboons escaped a biomedical research lab in San Antonio by climbing a 55-gallon barrel and jumping out of their enclosure. The Texas Biomedical Research Institute says the animals were never a medical danger to the public and the care and capture teams that dealt with the situations wore protective gear less for their own sake, but more for the baboons. After tasting freedom for a mere 45 minutes or so, the baboons were back in their tuxedos and main dining service occurred as scheduled. That's right. My reading the news was so sad, I had to play my go-to sad song. And that's Mutz with Prizefighter. Mutz, a great band uh, out of Chicago. Definitely check them out. They're all over the place uh, touring wildly let's just let's go ahead and knock this out we're going to talk to our friend chad the bird uh he is certainly in studio right now i'm going to just read a little bit of advertising we are a non-profit station here at q4 and uh we bend we bend to no one but i am kind of a whore for advertisers so uh bust your mouth cares about your undercarriage which is why we are proud to be sponsored by b undies the underwear made from bees b undies are made from microfiber antophila guaranteed to be three times more alive than cotton Tired of your old underwear looking terrible with sagging waistbands? How embarrassing. Get brand new underwear delivered to your door by BeUndies, the revolutionary online retailer for underwear made from insects. BeUndies is bringing softer than soft basics for everyone. Find, what out, find out what all the buzz is about. We only source the finest, softest bees for our undies and work only with beekeepers that take exceptional care of their employees. At BeUndies HQ, we've assembled an incredible, experienced team dedicated to all the right wings. It's all those people working together that makes our undies really special. What are you waiting for, honey? Honey. 
get bee undies. Are you uncomfortable in the world? Do you feel disappointed and powerless and love taking it out on others? Join Taylor, the gender-neutral Scoldshare app, taking the country by storm. Scoldsharing is a new way to enforce everything from company policy and park rules to parking etiquette and shared kitchen guidelines. This is the perfect opportunity for anyone who loves telling cars to slow down or leaves notes on the company microwave. If you're the type of person who enjoys phrases like, that's not a good joke, never say that again, or you're not supposed to have alcohol in this park, you could be linked up with a company right now that is in desperate need of your services. Nobody likes being the bad guy, except for you. You love that, Taylor. You love it. You're already a buzzkill like it's your job. You might as well get paid for doing it when you've had enough policing other people's actions and being the arbiter of everyone's language for the day. Sign out. You can head back to your den of perpetual acrimony where you get your mail with a real sense of smug self-satisfaction. Make a difference, Taylor. Go out there and you make a difference, Taylor. Sorry, Chad. Just had to pay those uh, advertisers. Uh, our no, buddy- it's cool. I just worry about Taylor. You know, Taylor, there's always one. Yeah. What's up with Taylor? <laughs> I don't know. There's always one. It's it's a it's a scold sharing app uh, uh, that I've that I've just created for that fake ad. Uh, um, okay. But everyone everyone knows the Taylor in the office. Oh, there's right? always a Taylor, and they always the, the, you just look at them and they're always just just shy of being in the right zone. You're kind of like, oh man, your shirt's tucked into your jeans. Really, Taylor? Come on, man. <laughs> they mean well. Yeah, I get it. You want to look clean, but you just look uptight. Let, let it loose. If you just untuck your shirt, you're good. It's also a polo shirt, Taylor. You don't need to do that. It's, a, it's okay. You just don't. You're not supposed. To, of course, you're not supposed to have alcohol in the park. But like, yeah. who? Why you got to be that guy? Yeah, like it's not cool anymore because you're 37. So like, when you were 13, it's like, oh, he's a bad kid, Taylor. He has a Sega. You know, and now he's just hanging out in the park, yelling at other people for trying, just trying to have a good job, yeah, just Taylor, having a good time. Just right? go home, drink at home, man. You can watch TV, and you don't have to get mad unless you want to, and then that's on you. You don't ruin anybody else's day. Hi, everybody. What's Hi, up? Taylor. <laughs> what's Are you up? listening? Uh, wh- what's we got up? your back, yo. What's up, Chad? Hi, uh, buddy. How you been, man? Oh, man. Um, tired. Uh, it's also confusing. My allergies are off the chain. Because... Is that why your eyes are so puffy? Yeah, well, of course. All what right, do you, yeah. you mean by that? Nothing, anyway, dude. Nothing. Um, why are you are you the, are you a cop? You'd be straight with me. No, I'm like I don't have to you tell have you. To tell I me. don't have to tell you. Oh that's man, a, you that's don't? a myth that stoners have been telling each other for too long. I love that that is something that circulated in the stoner community. It's like, and it's such a stoner thing to say to be like, "Hey, man, they have to tell you if you're a cop," <laughs> and no one questions the validity of it because you're high. You're like, "Oh yeah, that makes sense. That's how the law works." Also, 420 is not the police code for marijuana. No, it is not. Uh, the 420 came about because of a group called the Waldos. Did you know that? Uh, I, I did, but why don't you tell us? Um, so, hello, America. Um, for those of you who don't know, the 420 came about because of this group that used to hang out at the wall, and I forget uh, what college, but it's so, like, National Lampoon, Animal house kind of like, we're smart, but we're also fun. Uh, I, it had something to do with National Lampoon, I think. I can't remember. But, like, there was this group that had this magazine called... Um, Something funny that's also smart. I also don't remember. I don't have my phone on me to Google, but you can. Uh, the Waldos were what they were called, and they would meet at 420 to just get high, and that's how it started. And that's it. That's really how it started. After that, people had all kinds of great stoner logic behind it. But no, it's just these couple of dudes hanging out, getting high on the wall. Uh, I heard about that on a podcast called Criminal. Uh, really? That's the guy, one of the original guys, came out and was like, "Actually, it was me. It was my brother. He." Um, 
he had gotten some weed and he had hit it and we were going to meet at 420 after the after the school because that's when we were all school activities were over. Right. We were going to meet at 420 and go find this weed and they never found the weed but then they also 420 just became the magic time for them though. Uh, and, and you know there's a lot of that logic stuff that's out there in the stoner community of which I would like to consider myself somewhat of a of a member of. But like the there's a, a book called Get Stoned and Read This Book. And I'm sure those of you out there that have gotten stoned and read that book know that book. It's the white book. The cover's white, and the, it's all block letters, and the inside's hilarious. That's from Boston, and I met the kids that wrote it at Hempfest in um, the Commons in Boston in, like, 2001 or something like that. And I thought that was hilarious because I was like, that's so perfect that the stoner community just doesn't care about fame. I'm just going to put it out there, and it becomes famous and then you meet the people, and you're like, oh, man, that was you? Nice. I don't care anymore. It's awesome. It's unlike all other forms of fame, where you're like, oh, my God, I can't even talk to you. Your music's so good. Meanwhile, in the stoner world of fandom, it's like, hey, man, good job on that that TV show I saw once that you were on, or that YouTube show. But you're right? pretty famous yourself. I'd like to think so. Uh, you do the paper machete every, every Saturday? Yep. Um, every Saturday at 3 o'clock at the Green Mill in Chicago, gangster bar, day drinking, and news uh, and for hipsters. Just so everyone's aware, what, what's, what's the, the daily, what, what is your contribution to the show every week? Well, I'm an op-ed columnist, um, JW, as you know. It's very prestigious. It's difficult to maintain, um, but coffee is for that. Um, I, uh, I write about a thing that is assigned to me, and then I break it down for you so that we can all be on the same page about it. Because I don't like to get too political, but on occasion, especially in these times, I will. So there. But well, yeah, no, it's it's like um, any op-ed column, you know? It's great because I don't have to be too on the nose. I can just, like, rant about something for a little while. Ten minutes of just info and emotions. And they just... So uh, Christopher Pyatt will just serve you one up and you'll you'll just spike it, right? Yeah. Um, I don't know about spiking. Sometimes it's a bump. Sometimes I set it up. Sometimes I you just eat sand. But, like, either way, it's entertaining. Uh what about NASA? What about NASA? Uh, did you you hear? Did you hear? Were you in the room when I did the uh, news a little bit earlier? No, I know I it wasn't it. terrific. All right, so so the Senate confirmed uh, Representative Jim Bridenstine, the Republican out of Oklahoma, that Trump nominated oh. uh, to head up the to head up NASA. Oh, I did see this guy. Yeah, he's got those bug eyes that yeah, yeah, yeah. all the people in the Trump community <laughs> have right now. They all have the same eyes. It's so Village of the Damned, and I'm like, no one's seeing this. No one sees this. It's like that one guy that shows up to like your school. It's like, all right, we're going to have uh, you know one-on-one time with this counselor that you've never met. And you go in the room and you look at him and you're like, this dude's sinister. And I know you all know this. That's why everybody's nervous. Hi, everybody. Oh, hey. Uh, I'm waving to the Instagram. D- distracted by the Instagram. Uh, uh, but you're into space. I've heard you talk about space before. I have talked about space. I love space. Um, it's also terrifying, which I think is something that we need to see more of in film because – in real, in reality, space just wants you to die. It just wants to take your guts out and just leave you stranded in nothing, floating like junk, or burn you alive, or age you. You saw Interstellar. That movie was boss. Because it was like, you know, space is a Lovecraftian nightmare. Keep your Star Wars. Keep your Star Trek. We're, we're, that's just not how it's going to be. Oh you, oh, you thought Interstellar was too dark? I thought Interstellar was spot on. Because oh, okay. it was like... It was like, hey, you guys like Star Wars? Guess what? It's a lie. <laughs> hey, you nerds love Star Trek? Guess what? It's never going to happen. This is the reality. It's just a giant swirling vortex of nothing. I thought that was boss. 
uh, McConaughey is probably your dude, though, right? Here's the thing about McConaughey. No one can nurse a crappy beer like Matthew McConaughey <laughs> and watch every one of his movies in the McConaissance in the last 10 years. There's always a scene with him sitting on a porch with his tie undone and it's too hot and he's drinking a crummy beer. And it's always like the butt end of it. Like you're like, don't you finish that beer because that is warm and mostly your your spit. Don't do it. Don't do it. And he's like, yeah, we just gotta keep on making movies until one of us gets it right. And it like gets right up to his mouth. You're like, ah, oh god, no! Don't you drink that? Don't you do that? Every single one of his movies has a scene. There's a scene in Interstellar where he's sitting on the porch with uh, you know Michael Caine, and they're having a convo. And he's just like, yeah, well. And then his hand came into frame, and there was this Miller light in there with just like the butt end of it swimming there. And I was like, oh, no! Oh, I can't watch this scene! This is a plot point! And I'm going to miss it because I have my hands over my eyes because I cannot watch you finish that warm, disgusting last sip of disgusting beer. But you're going to do it. You're going to hang me there, and that's how it's going to end. Even in True Detective, there's like a whole seven minutes of screen time with him drinking Lone Stars. And I'm like, ah, I can't follow anything anyone's saying because all I can think about that warm, nasty beer you're drinking right now. But he loves it. He loves it, except when he's in a Lincoln. Then, oh, no, it's all class. And then it's the wild turkey, right? Or whatever oh, the yeah, hell then, else. Oh, yeah, then there's the wild Avion turkey. or whatever else he, yeah, he endorses. Him, him, yeah, him with a glass of wild turkey with, a, with an ice cube in it, which I enjoy. I'm like, yes, to bring out the flavor of wild turkey. To gent- gently open up the wild turkey. <laughs> yeah, well, did I hear you say reconnaissance McCona- earlier? Reconnaissance, Could man. you uh, expound on that, please? Well, like, think back when we saw Matthew McConaughey in movies. Like, all right, all right, man. Yeah, back I'm going to take all... my shirt off. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. then he was in a bunch of rom-coms, but then all of a sudden he started making these dark, brooding, interesting sure. movies like Interstellar and True Detective. And Mud. Mud. And, uh, oh, Mud's such a good movie. Uh, and then, uh, what was that other one that he, oh, uh, Dallas Buyers Club. Sure, yeah. All of a sudden, he was in all these Oscar-winning, Oscar-nominated, dark, broody kind of movies. Good stuff, too. All like, good. Where, hey, where you know, were you? Where was I during the McConaughey no, times? No, where were you this whole this time, whole time. Oh, totally. Um, uh, he was, he's always been there, man. He just uh, he didn't care. It was not his, he didn't want to do it. I'm convinced. He was just more interested who in taking got, his shirt off. Who got arrested more times than I can think of for being naked playing a djembe on the beach? You don't question. You just let him roll. He's a wild creature. Let him be himself. He's like on your money. Yeah, man. Oh, I'm in. I'm like in, in, in Stonerlandia. Like he's on the money. He if there if we could have a, a council of Stonelandia, I would think he would be on the high council. <laughs> but like also the guys from. Um, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, the floaty dudes from the future, would be on there, too. Which and guys were the floaty guys from the future? Remember in Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, the first, when they go to the future, uh-huh. and they uh, they go to the the that like sparkly like 90s, um, post-80s Grace, Smith, uh, oh, Grace yes, Jones yes, looking yes, place, yes, yes. where everybody's wearing like um, mylar and, and shoulder pads for days. And they had the three ca- the three council people, and they're floating with the sunglasses that I you do, could buy. I at Burger do remember King. now. Yeah, yeah, that's the that's the Stoner High Council, and Matthew McConaughey is like their rep so to it's the him, mortals. Which is like him, Tommy Chong. Tommy Chong. Yeah. Tommy Chong works there. I don't think he has a high position because I don't think he'd want it. I think he'd be like, "No, I'll work. I'll answer the phones, <laughs> or I'll work in records or something like that." Because. <laughs> He's just in the basement somewhere, but he's cool with it. Do you see that they're doing a reboot of uh, Bill and Ted? Is it they're a doing, reboot or a, is it a sequel? 
it's a se- it, I'm sorry, a it's a sequel. It's cool. a sequel, but it's with old Bill S. Preston S. Like with the original actor that no They've one knows. They've been talking about that for like ten years. I'll believe it when I see it. Every like couple of years, they do a Vanity Fair cover with Keanu Reeves. And um, um, see, oh. even you don't know his name. No, I do know his name. Hold on, I just can't remember his name right now. Um, um, uh, 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 Winter. Uh, his last name is Winter. Alex Winter. Alex Winter. Um, only because of this movie Freaked, but we'll talk about that in a second. Anyway, they always do a cover of Alex Winter and Keanu Reeves, and they're always like stonery. And the, you know, they just did one. They literally just did one where they're in the phone booth, and I'm like, stop dangling that carrot in front of our face, okay? <laughs> That's like when you're like, I know you said we're going to get pizza. I know it's not going to happen. Stop saying we're going to get pizza. Just stop it because now all I want is pizza, and nothing else will do. So I'll believe it when I see it. I've just become sen- insensitive to it now. Um, desensitized. Alex Winter made a movie back in the oldem days, uh, way oldem times. I can't even remember how old this was. Um, oh my god! Uh, like the eighties, olden times? No, like nineties, early nineties, olden time. I can't remember. Uh, it was on Showtime. That's when it started. Um, that's how it got it. It was a movie called Freaked. Freaked, uh, um, like uh, past tense. Yeah, like you gotcha, have been gotcha, freaked. Gotcha. Um, the opening song was by Henry Rollins called "I Am the Freak." I remember that, and Bobcat Goldthwait was in it. Um, Alex Winter directed it and wrote it and was in it. Uh, who else was in it? Oh my gosh, Brooke Shields was in it. Um, Randy Quaid was in it, and uh, there was a brief cameo by Keanu Reeves as the dog boy, but um, he was unbilled. So uh, was it good? I mean, you're doing a it's lot. It's of- one of my okay. favorites. All right. Is it good? I don't know. Our barbecue flavor twist by Fritos, good? I don't know. Are but they? I will eat the entire bag. Yeah. It's not good for you. It's definitely the late night taco drunken burrito of movies, but I love it. Um, essentially, it's about Alex Winter plays this famous kid star, and he, it's a, like a total naked gun Zucker Brothers kind of movie where the whole thing is like super dumb, dumb, dumb jokes. Um, and he's this former like star who's going on the road to do, find a new something, and he gets lost with some people that he just met. And uh, it's the brother from Blossom, not Joey, the other one. Uh, yeah, the other one. There's um, always the other one. Right, it's the other one. And they meet this girl at an airport in this country that they didn't want to go to because this company sent him to this country to do an ad for them. And he ends up getting lost in the jungle and finds this freak show. Like old school Todd, uh, what's his name? Uh, what's the guy did Freaked? Uh, Freaks. Todd Solans? Solans? No, no, no. What are you no, talking no. about? No, the original um, horror movie from the 30s. Oh, uh, 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 the uh, uh, One of Us One of Us. Movie? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, keep yeah, want okay. to say Todd McFarlane, but it's not. But kind of. Okay, let's pretend it was. <laughs> so they find, they find this Todd McFarlane-esque freak show run by Randy Quaid. And uh, it turns out that he's been making the Freaks. And he has this goo that he, he rubs on you and it mutates your body. And so uh, Alex Winter becomes a freak and gets stuck there with all these other people. Bobcat Goldthwait plays the sock head. He's a guy with a sock for a head. Mr. T plays the bearded lady. It's outstanding. Um, is, and it's a comedy. Is it? Is it? I don't know. It's not uh, anything. It's hard to pinpoint and quantify this movie because it is gory as just like the na- it's like watching what like like it's like garbage pail kids cards gory sure okay. like just disgusting uh like rubber masks and stuff good practical effects though it definitely looks like when rob zombie draws a cartoon 
it looks like that, but real. Oh, okay. So everything is crazy overpronounced and disgusting. And it is dumb. So dumb. But man, is it good. It's just like, again, it's like the late night drunken Al Pastor tacos. You're like, this is not good for me. But it's perfect in the moment. What's your favorite movie ever? Favorite movie ever? Yeah. That's a tough one. All right, well, grab the first one that you, you think is in contention. What's on the high council of your favorite movies? Favorite movies ever. Okay, so, oh, hit the mic. Um, it's man. cool. It's all oh, right. Oh, man. Okay, so let's, let's add some criteria onto it because favorite's just so open. Um, favorite um, meaning most impactful on my person. I would say, um, well, Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure and Bogus Journey are definitely on that list. Because, and Bogus Journey? Well, I think they're both part of the same timeline because of time travel. They've <laughs> okay. got to exist oh, okay. together. Okay. They cannot exist apart. I mean, you could see you could see Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, but you wouldn't know the whole story. You have to see the next one because to realize how amazing the great ones were, they, they beat death. Okay, that's an important thing to note. Um, At would, things like Battleship, right? Twister? Twister, Twister, Battleship, uh, uh, Game of Life at one point, and then they, then they give him a wedgie, and then they run away, which is just epic. Um, also, uh, oh, uh, Weekend at Bernie's, you don't need to see the sequel. That's another classic, American classic movie. Better than you think it was. Funnier than you remember. Go back and watch um, uh, Weekend at Bernie's and tell me that I'm wrong. Um, I'm also a big fan of, let's go classics, uh, The Great Escape with um, uh, Steve McQueen. Another great one. You really, you really want to get into it. Um, I don't know. Oh, geez. Favorite movie. That's hard to I say. Know it's, it, I know. I, I set you up. And whenever someone gives you a favorite, it's always kind of a, a, well, a minefield. It's, it's so open because there's genres and there's timing. And like right now, I would really watch um, uh, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days or whatever. Like I could watch that movie right now and be just, fine with it. Just because of Just because the, it's Monday and it's you know sunny. And it has nothing to do with the McConaughey connection. Yeah. Well, maybe that's on the brain. That could be it. But I'd watch him do anything, so it's cool. Um, I don't know. I, I would think like my favorite movie to watch, like to just sit down and watch, is probably um, Star Wars: uh, The Return of the Jedi. Is my fave. I'm a big Return of the Jedi, Jedi guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, big time. I'm a Jedi guy. If we go down that road, um, I'm a Jedi guy. Also, like the Last Jedi, so that would be so just Jedi know. in general. I love Jedi's just in general. Space wizards, come on, man. They're stoner space wizards. That's great. Brilliant. Um, I don't know. It depends on what, what, we're, what we're down for. If we want to watch a movie and just eat pizza and watch a dumb movie, Major League works. Um, that's a good one. Bull Durham is another one that I enjoy a great deal for pizzas. So what's going to happen with the next with the uh, with the the final chapter of this particular trilogy? I mean, obviously we have the Han Solo. About Star Wars, yeah, Star Wars. Okay. We're going to do that. We have two minutes, but we're not going to go. Okay. We're not going to touch Solo because that's obviously a, a separate. Well, that's one of thing. the anthologies. It's not part of the saga. Exactly. Right? So in the saga, what's happening next? Because we ended in a weird place. I think it's going to be that. I think it's going to start. And if they're smart, they would start this way. JJ, JJ, if JJ, you're can smart, you hear me? You start this way. You can. You can do it, man. I believe in you. You don't have to retcon anything. Starts with Leia's death, the scroll. Princess Leia Organa, General Leia Organa has died, leaving the resistance in turmoil because she was the last great hope because Holdo is dead. Uh, spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen Last Jedi. But if you by now have not seen it, you're not gonna, so I don't care anymore. Because um, really? Because <laughs> it, really, it's on demand. It's everywhere. Like so you, you, can get you it. didn't see it? You didn't see the new Star Wars movie? What the heck, man? And you're mad about spoilers? Get off my back and be a better nerd. So anyway, so, so General Leia is dead. Um, Kylo and Rey 
are gonna they have to face off because he can't survive. It has to happen. Yeah, he killed his own father, man. Like he murdered everybody. He murdered Nobody so who many does people. that in the canon survives. No, he's got to go down. Um, she's gonna she's gonna form. I think she's gonna start her own academy at the end. I think she's gonna go to Octo and just like further move from like what Luke wanted to do and then was banned from. And I think we're gonna get a Force Ghost Luke, and I hope we do because that would be the best. Because I I miss him. I can't wait for him to come back. You're already you're already already missing him. It broke my heart, man. Also, the, but he but he did it. But he went out in such a beautiful fashion. No, no question. It was perfect to see him watching the twin suns, uh, and then the 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 swelling music, and they just disappeared. A mess. It was a mess. But you think there's gonna be emotions. a force ghost? He has to be. Okay. Like if they don't do that, you've not only have you missed an opportunity, you've been setting up this opportunity for six movies and, or seven movies, and you're just gonna let that go. That's ridiculous. Like, you got to have him come back. He's got to help Ray out. Because there's no point in training Jedis anymore, right? Because the Jedi Order is dying. Isn't that, isn't that like what that is, the Yeah, I mean, thing? that's pretty much the point. But then is, you know, is she going to pick it up and run with it? We're I don't know. Out. I think it's going to be the mother of all space battles. I think it's going to be crazy big and crazy fun because it's J.J. Abrams. So it's going to be loud and insane. I think there's going to be a lot of emotional things. I don't think there's going to be a twist. I think it's just going to ride Straight out. Up. And you're going to get, like, Finn and Ray and everybody in the throne room. I think they're going to end it like they ended A New Hope. Where it's going to be like them in the throne room getting uh, medals or something like that. If they had an ounce of class, <laughs> they would end it with an Ewok celebration because that's the best right. way to end okay. anything. Okay, all right. You know what? This is I'm going to have to end this interview. You know what? <laughs> a lot of people divide on the Ewoks. I'm staunch. You know, I think everything that involves um, that involves uh, that sort of I don't want to use the the <clears throat> the p word in front of you. Oh, um, please don't. But uh, I think all those. If you're into that sort of thing, then you're definitely into Jedi. How could you not enjoy the moment at the end when all of a sudden these little flesh-eating bear creatures decide, you know what, we're cool with you, we're going to have a party. And they may have accidentally eaten some stormtroopers that (laughs) night. They don't know. You don't know. They were being roasted on a spit, JW. Don't ever forget that when people crap on uh, you know, Ewoks. Don't ever forget that at one point Han Solo and Luke are tied to a spit. Yep. They're being roasted. They, uh, that's These things true. don't mess around. They're terrifying little bear monsters. But they also know how to party like it's the suburbs in the summer. It's like grill out and music, bro. So Nobody knows how to party. Nobody knows how to party. Like, like Chad, Ewoks. The, like, like Ewoks. And also like you, Chad the oh, Bird. Thanks, thanks for stopping by. Once course, again, man. this is Busted Mouth on Q4 Radio, QUE4.org, nice. uh, 1680 AM in Chicago. My name is JW Basillo. I have been your host. Uh, this is always going to be available. Check us out on uh, Spotify as well. Check out the Busted Mouth esteemed listening, excuse me, esteemed audio companion. I gave it a title so ridiculous, I even I forget about it. Uh, we're going to go out on one tune here. This is. Uh, uh, not my boyfriend, but a gentleman who once played my boyfriend in a music video. Uh, this is J.C. Brooks. It is Uptown Sound off of the new album. This is Better Class of Thieves.